Hello, hello, and welcome back to Coffee Stains EDU Podcast. This is your host, Geneva Rodriguez, and we are going into episode three of our Tackling the Danielson series. As I said before, this series has four episodes, so this is episode three. I will be uploading episode four in about a week or so, and then we'll be wrapping up the series and um, just go moving forward. <laughs> Um, so thank you to all my listeners for tuning in and thank you for the suggestions and the feedback that I've received so far with the podcast. It's been very inspirational. It's been very helpful and I appreciate it dearly. So you can find us on Instagram at coffeestains underscore edu. That's coffeestains underscore edu. Our website is www.coffeestains.org. That's www.coffeestains.org. Like I say every episode, I'll say this episode. I do not edit any of my content. What you get is what it is. I record once and I upload it with all the mistakes bloopers whatever you want to call it it is what it is and the reason why I do it this way is because I want you to genuinely get me right I'm not perfect let's be real Um, and I just feel like if you get me raw and authentic there would be um, it would be easier for you to really uh, trust and receive the message I am trying to deliver. I'm no expert. I talk based off my knowledge and experience as an educator and now as an administrator. And um, I just like to use this platform as an opportunity to share information that I would have appreciated when I was in the classroom. So I'm gonna go into episode three. This series is about the Danielson rubric. The rubric is a framework that is used in New York City as well as, uh, well, is adapted in New York, in the New York Department of Education, I'm sorry. Um, It's a framework for teaching components. The Danielson rubric has four components. We already did episode one, which was domain one, planning and preparation. Episode two was domain two, classroom environment and managing student behaviors. And now we are, I don't know why my voice sounds like that. I apologize. Maybe I'm coming down with something. Um, Hopefully not. Pop those vitamins ASAP. (laughs) So episode three, don't mind me, I be tripping sometimes. Episode three is about, it's all on instruction. In the class, well, I'm going to be reading a little bit from the Danielson rubric, which you can find on our website under our resource tab. In the classrooms of accomplished teachers or students are highly engaged in learning. They make significant contributions to the success of the class through participation in high-level discussions and active involvement in their learning and the learning of others. Teachers' explanations are clear and invite students' intellectual engagement. The teacher's feedback is specific to learning goals and rubrics and and offers concrete suggestions for improvement. As a result, students understand their progress in learning the content and can explain 
the learning goals and what they need to do in order to improve. Effective teachers recognize the responsibility for student learning and make adjustments as needed to ensure student success. So, there are three parts of domain three. 3B is using questioning and discussion techniques. 3C is engaging students in learning. And 3D is using assessment instruction and in instruction. This is a big one. And I know this is a, an area that um, I've noticed that many struggle in when it comes to, um, well, I, I will say all three, but I've noticed an increase in, um, in teachers, sorry, let me, let me reword that, that sounded all crazy. I've been seeing it, yes, I've been, in, 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 I've been seeing and hearing about an increase um, amount of, I'm still saying awful, but whatever. <laughs> there has been a lot of teachers that have shown um, struggles. Yeah, they have shown struggles in components, sorry, domain three domain three they've some struggles and they there's a lot of room for improvement in domain three so using question and discussions discussion techniques engaging students in learning and using assessment instruction seems to be a very challenging domain so hopefully this episode will help you um, tackle that in your next observation and even if you feel like you're struggling like I say like I said in every episode within this series you need to feel confident in the in the, the rubric. I'm sorry. You need to be you need to be confident in the rubric. You need to understand the rubric. This is something that you're being rated on, right? So you should be familiar with all the domains and what it it actually is asking of you. And if you don't know that, then it's your responsibility as educators to learn that and to seek the support and guidance you need from an administrator or from a friend or from a mentor, someone that does have knowledge in this, in the rubric, right? And if you, you know, as a teacher, you should always reflect on your practices and you should be able to determine that which areas that, which areas that are your strengths and which areas are your weaknesses and how can you tackle your weaknesses? How can you use your strengths to improve your weaknesses, right? So if this is an area you're struggling in and after this episode you feel that it still is not helping, you can always reach out to me. I can help you as best as I can. Like I said, I'm not an expert. I'm still learning and growing as well. Um, I, I, when I was a teacher, I was rated with this rubric and my first few years was awful, 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 awful. And it was because I wasn't familiar with the rubric. I didn't take the time to really dissect the rubric and to really break it down and really understand what it was asking of me as an educator. But as I um, got into like my third, fourth year as a teacher, I really made it my responsibility, my job. It was a priority to me to understand what the rubric was asking of me and to make sure that I was aligning my instruction and my lesson planning to the rubric. And whenever I met with an administrator and they gave me feedback, I would always ask questions about the feedback. And maybe, you know, if they didn't give me um clear uh clear feedback 
on my observation in advance. I would ask for that clarity. I wouldn't leave that meeting without asking. I would be taking notes, jotting down um, <clears throat> based on what is being said and what is written in, you know, in this observation. If I didn't agree with it or if I felt like it was not clear, I would always ask. In the beginning, I used to be super nervous, and I get that. As a first, second-year teacher, I was scared to do that. And there's some seasoned teachers now that are scared to do that. And I highly suggest and recommend that you do not feel scared to the point where you cannot ask for help or ask for clarity on something that you're doing because we are here to support you. And I hope that you do not feel that you do not feel that way um, like towards your your leaders. And I get it. And you know what I know what that is because I felt that in my first few years as a teacher and didn't feel good. You know, I was grateful for the, you know, for assistant principals that really um helped and provided the support and actually answered my questions because I wasn't I didn't always get that from all administrators. I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> um but <clears throat> ask questions. If you receive a certain rating and you want to improve and you should want to improve. I hope you want to improve as a teacher. You should ask those questions. So let's jump right in it. Because again, like I always say, I ramble, ramble, ramble. And my goal always is to be 25 minutes or less. But I know this series, I've already been tapping into like 35 minutes and plus, And I apologize. But it's a lot of information to unpack. And I just want to make sure that I cover all the bases. So I, I'm literally at, right now on my screen, I have a presentation open that me and the amazing Jenna um, presented. Uh, I don't know if it was... The year before, last year, the year before, I don't know, everything's a blur <laughs> at this point. We actually did a um, a virtual workshop on the four, four domains. And I feel that um, it's something that you can constantly work on and improve and grow um, from. I will grow in, not grow from, grow in, right, with your knowledge of the rubric. So I'm look. I'm reading from these slides, and I'm also reading from the actual Danielson rubric. So you can actually just Google Danielson rubric, or um, or you can find it on my website. Like I said, coffeestained.org, coffeestained.org, um, and you can also find the slides um, under the rubric component, under the rubric component. You hear me? Under the resources um, tab. Anyways, let's jump in it. So three B is using questioning and discussion techniques. Techniques. So I'm going to scroll down on the rubric. What does that mean, right? Like we have to understand what it's asking of us. So using questioning and discussion, discussion techniques. Some indicators of that would be questions of high cognitive challenge formulated by both students and teacher. Questions with multiple correct answers are used or multiple approaches even if there is a single correct response. Effective use of student responses and ideas. Discussions with the, with the teacher stepping out of the central mediating role. That's, that's like the goal of administrators. We want less of the teacher, more of the students. So within this component, that is, that's what we look for. We wanna see more student to student. This is why we recommend turn, turn and talks. This is why we give sentence stems. The point, the goal is for you to step out 
of the central position a spot and let students have a nice flow and this is only going to happen if you model that and you give them the floor and the space to do that i know sometimes a lot of teachers do not want to let go they never want to let go but let it go let it go and let your students talk <laughs> yeah i won't leave my day job i know anyways um focus on the reasoning exhibited by students in discussion both in give and take with the teacher and with their classmates and then there is a high level of student participation in discussions and we always know we know we have those two three four students that are always answering the questions raising their hands you know in that discussion but then we have a lot, a lot of the students that just sit back and stay quiet and they hide and they don't like this you know they, they don't like the spotlight they don't like speaking and we have those students that always take the front and center right role and they speak um, we have to be mindful that we want all students engaged we need to make sure that you're providing opportunities and a space for all students to participate and engage <clears throat> so let's dive in a little bit deeper so let's look at the effective rating while the teacher may use some low-level questions he or she poses questions designed to promote student thinking and understanding the teacher creates a genuine discussion among students, providing adequate time for students to respond and stepping aside when doing so is appropriate. The teacher challenges the students to justify their thinking and successfully engages most students in the discussion. Love it, love it, love it. And employing a range of strategies to ensure that most students are heard, like I just said. <laughs> so that's right from the effective rating from the rubric. So what does that look like? in the classroom, right? We wanna make sure that teachers are using open-ended questions. And you wanna invite students to think or to offer multiple answers. So I always tell teachers, plan, you know, I'm in an elementary school, so I always try to tell teachers, plan at least a minimum of three to four questions. And they shouldn't be, they should be open-ended questions. Stay away from the yes or no's the thumbs up, thumbs down, right? If you start with that, if you lead with that, make sure it has a follow-up question, right? That allows students to think, allows students to justify their thinking, and allows students to engage in discussions with one another, right? That is the goal. You also wanna make use of, effective use of wait time. Not all students process things the same way, just like no two adults process things the same way. So we wanna give opportunities for all students to really get the question that you're asking and given the opportunity to answer within a reasonable amount, reasonable amount of time, right? So the teacher makes effective use of wait time is very important for all our learners, right? Some people think that's just for special needs kids or ENL, no, for all learners. We can't just ask a question and then expect a response right away or um, keep on asking this question and rewording it because you're not getting a response. You need to give an opportunity for students to think about the question and then have a floor to respond, right? I mean, the space to respond. 
discussions enable students to talk to one another without ongoing mediation by teachers, right? So that, that's, I know that's an area for a lot of people that, that they struggle in, especially when teachers don't let go. And they also feel that students don't talk, but this is something that you have to um, start early in the school year and keep practicing, practicing, practicing. Consist consistency is key. And I'm just constantly reminding them that, that was, that's the expectation. Turn and talks are perfect, right? Um, you still kind of controlling, but you're giving, you're getting kids comfortable and familiar with that strategy of turning to your partner and talking. You're, they're not picking their partner. You're assigning their partner, right? You also want to be mindful of the of the groupings when you or the other partnership. Um, you want to make sure that when you are using your turn to talks, that you're making sure you are clear. You are clearly telling them who's talking at at the moment like we noticed when we went into some class when, when i go into some classes it's just one per partner talking all the time so what i told my teachers is it's a lot of kids that do not talk during the turn and talk and i observed that so your goal is to get your those non-speakers to speak those shy ones those introverts the ones that do not really speak or participate to speak and how do you do that you assign partner partner a partner b and when you're doing your turn to talk, you're going to say, say, okay, partner A is going to share first with partner B. And you need to circulate and make sure these, these, these groups are actually following what you're asking and that you're going into those groups where there are some students that do not speak so you can get them comfortable with speaking and, and letting them know that is an expectation in the classroom. And then you want to do a swap and say, okay, now partner B, share, right? So both partners are able to share and it helps both <clears throat> the ones that usually speak all the time to kind of simmer down and give an opportunity for others <clears throat> and also lets the non-speakers know that hey you're going to be speaking and it's an expectation is an expectation right um we also got to be mindful of the, the, what another attribute is the teacher calls on most students even those who who don't initially volunteer i noticed that in a lot of classes too you know, teachers want to get keep the flow going. They don't. They don't like the awkward silence. So they always constantly calling. They constantly call on the same students who raise their hand, or they know they didn't know the answer. No, 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 no. If you gotta do cold calling, do it. But make it make it the culture of your classroom. Let your students know. And I'm not gonna just you know pick kids that raise their hand. You might even want to make it your culture where kids don't need to raise their hand. You know that you're gonna be just calling students' names. And you're going to be expecting them to participate, right? And you want to create an environment where kids feel safe to do that and take a risk that even though they might not know the answer, that they take they make an effort to answer or engage. Many students actively engage in discussions. This is, this is what we're going to see if you implement those turn and talk strategies, right? The teacher asks the students to justify the reasoning and most attempt to do so. So it's always nice to ask a why. Or, or can you elaborate? Can you build on that? Can you say that in a different way? Um, that's your. That's where you're gonna allow those students to dive deep or really think about and back up their thinking and why they feel the way they feel. Right? If they give an opinion, why? Why do you feel this character is better than the other character? Why do you feel this character is me and this character is nice? Right? Justify using some type of evidence. Um, that's just an example, right? So that is where that's. That is a, an, an effective rating for using questioning and discussion techniques. So like I said, I usually tell my teachers, again, it's elementary in certain classes, I say at least three to four, well, minimum three questions made, and you know, and the possibilities are endless and as long as you're in that allotted mini lesson time, right? Um, but also, 
how many turn-in talks, right? Because we're trying to promote more student, more students' um, engagement and, and more student conversations and discussions, you might want to throw in a lot of turn-in talks, right? Those questions that you're asking can be turn-in talks, right? So you don't need to have separate questions and separate turn-in talks. Your questioning, you can use your turn-in talks at, um, for your questioning, right? Um, and and we we highly recommend that we really are you know we we do root root, root for that because we want um we want to see students talking. We want to know that they're understanding what's going on, and we want to hear those conversations. And we want them to practice the vocabulary as well, and and um just engage in conversations with their classmates. You know, it brings a lot more meaning to what they're doing when they can actually discuss it and they can share ideas with one another so you know some of the teachers I'll say at least implement at least two to three turn and talk some teachers every question is a turn and talk and because they got they got a routine they got a system they their their class already knows what's expected of them right now let's talk about uh, ineffective right I talked about effective let's talk about ineffective now the teacher's questions are of low cognitive challenge and a single correct response, probably like a yes or no, right? Um, the interaction seems like it's recited and the teacher is mediating all questions and answers, not allowing any type of turn and talks. Um, the teacher accepts all contributions but doesn't ask students to explain their reasoning and only a few students participate in the discussions, right? So questions are rapid fire with a single correct answer. So that's, there's no wait time there, right? We're just answering, asking questions, asking questions, asking questions, students are answering, very limited, there's no conversation, there's no discussions, right? Um, students that are asked to justify or, or invited to, to, um, to share their thinking or understanding behind a question or behind their answers. And only a few students dominate the discussion. So this is where it goes to where we have our typical three or four students that always you know, participate, who, who always talk. And that's going to be an ineffective rating for using questioning and discussion techniques. So let's think about how is your delivery? Is it clear? Is it concise? The content, material, and resources are differentiated to meet the needs of all students. Right? That's when it comes to the questioning. You want to make sure that it's differentiated. You want to make sure you have scaffold questions, different level questions to engage all your students, as well as um, the assessments. They should be, um, they should be aligned to the students' levels. Um, scaffold, scaffolding is being used. This is an indicator. Um, Student-to-student discussions and activities are used in lesson. Teacher builds on student responses. Teacher uses open-ended questions, right? We want students to not just say yes or no. Um, activities allow for all students to intellectually engage, to, uh, to be intellectually engaged and challenged. Um, you might use che checklists are used, self-assessments are used. Teacher provides individualized feedback to elicit understanding, and that goes into three D, which we'll go into in a minute. Okay, so. Let's go into engaging students in learning because this one is a big one, right? And if we are using, you know, they, these all overlap. If you're using, using differentiating scaffolding questions and discussion techniques within your lesson, you 
then you're providing opportunities for all students to be engaged right so if you're implementing that partner a partner b if you're not if you're not just picking students that constantly talk right you have a cold call system in place um you might not want to call a cold call because i know like i don't even know if they use that term anymore i remember when i was it, that's what it was called cold call right but just creating a culture where you're not you know kids are feeling comfortable and safe enough to take risks and to participate even if they don't know the answer right or if they do know the answer um you you know you want to make sure that the questions do meet the needs of all your students so that's what you have to you might have to scaffold some questions you know maybe a thumbs up might work a thumbs down but then follow it up because we also don't want to limit our questions because you might have low fun, you know low, low learners or uh, um, newbie like beginners um you want to make sure um that I don't like saying low learners I gotta take that back I'm sorry we have different levels of learners in our classroom right we want to make sure that they have access and they uh, to to our um, the, to the curriculum to the lessons to the activities to the questioning so the only way they can have access to that is that if you're providing questions on their level so you have to scaffold and you might have to differentiate the question that might have you should be doing that you should have different level questions based on the levels of students in your class and you know that using your assessments Right, and you're and you're conferencing with your students, looking at you know informal and formal data will help you with um, creating these questions for your lessons. So again, like all of this overlaps, right? So you're implementing all those strategies. All your students are being are engaged, right? Um, and you're using your assessments to lead that instruction, right? So you so you're using the, the assessments that you did for the previous lesson, the lesson before that, the lesson before that to lead this instruction to use to lead for future instruction with your questioning you might know that johnny might might need a little bit more time it helps with your partnership too because you know that johnny you know is not so much of a talker but sam is is a talker so you might want to put them in a group together and be so that sam can kind of motivate john to speak more right um and help him with that vocabulary that he might not have at the time so using assessment instruction is very important too. Like how will you assess the students? Well, we want we want to see evidence of that during the lesson, right? So you're conferencing, you providing specific feedback, right? When you're doing your when you're providing these turn and talks, which is um, engaging students and using discussion techniques, you're also using assessments in your instruction, right? Because now you're going around to your to your groups, you're asking them specific questions based on what you ask them and um, based on their levels. And you're having you're having small discussions with them. Um, it should be evident that your your discussions and your feedback is going to look different with every student, and that's using assessments and instruction because you know. You, you would know your students and know how to speak to them and what questions to ask them. You will go right directly to those groups that you know, oh, these, this group usually needs a little more help, so I'm going to provide them support first, right? How do you build on student responses? You should try to, you should definitely do this in your lessons, but you also should try to motivate students to rebuild on other students, I mean, to build on their peers' responses so that can, that can engage, that can help them engage in, sorry, I can't even talk right now, help them engage in conversations as well. So that is, um, let me break down a little bit of engaging students. I, I spoke about it briefly, but let me, let me dive into what the rubric looks for, right? So what are some indicators students seem in, 
enthusiastic. They seem interested. They're thinking. They're problem solving. Right. The learning there's a learning task that requires higher level student thinking and invites students to explain their thinking. Right. Um, we want to challenge our students. Right. We don't want to keep them where they are. We know that they can do X, Y, and Z. We want to push them to do you know a different level and even exposing to exposing them to that is is fine we don't want to just keep our our expectations low just because of where they are right we want to expose them to these things and and, and have high expectations for our students um students students highly motivated to work on all tasks and persistent even when the tasks are challenging they you know you provide a culture in your classroom where kids are confident and they're con you know you're giving them this verbal praise and this reassurance to accept the challenge and that you got their back you're there you're going to help them you're going to help them um master that task but that you're going to send them off by themselves you try your best do what you got to do see how much you can do by yourself and then i'll circle back right we want to make we want our our learners to be independent students are actively working rather than watching while te while their teacher is doing the work so we want the kids should have something the kids should be able to connect with what you're doing in the lesson the kids should have some type of um activity in front of them material and helping them complete that task right it shouldn't just be the student sitting there watching the teacher absolutely not and the pacing needs to be suitable for all your learners we don't want it to be rushed and we also don't want it to be dragged you know that's why it's important to use timers and to to know the the, the individual needs of your students if they need a little bit more support we don't have to extend that mini lesson. We don't have to extend and give another model, another example. We circle back. We send off our students um, into their groups to work independently, and we'll go circle back to the students that need a little more support. So that's engaging all students. You want to make sure that the material and resources support the learner's goals, right? And, and so whatever the learning the learning objective is you need to make sure that the activities align to that learning objective and that they can complete that task in the learning objective with the material that you're giving them and you don't want to give them too much either you don't want to overwhelm them so just give them the material needed for that specific task so using assessment and instruction, I know a lot a lot of teachers struggle with this as well, right? So teachers paying, some indicators is teachers paying close attention to evidence of student understanding, right? Um, you can see this during um, turn-in talks. You can see this when kids are working individually, independently, in small groups. Um, you can you can assess this based on their responses in the turn-in talk, the response to certain questions that you ask, right? Um, the teacher poses specifically created questions to elicit understanding. I mean, elicit evidence of student understanding. So this can happen when you go, when you're circulating, um, when you're going to the small groups, when you work when the kids are working independently. You can circulate and you can elicit that evidence of student understanding by having these one-to-one -one conversations with the students. Again, you can only create specific questions for your kids if you know your kids, right? You're assessing them, you know their levels, then you'll know how to move forward. Teachers circulating, like I just said, to monitor student learning and to offer feedback. Students assessing their own work against established criteria. So it's important. We want our kids to be able to um, assess their own work and, and assess the work of their peers. Give them a rubric. Give them a checklist, right? Help them be, understand what they're working towards and giving them that rubric and letting them see like where they fall. It's a great way for them to assess themselves. And you can also use those assessments to help you know how to move forward with the next lesson and how to plan moving forward and to provide the specific support that student needs right so it helps you as well 
So let's see. So we'll go into effective for using assessment and instruction. Students appear to appear to be aware of the assessment criteria and the teacher monitors student learning for groups of students. Questions and assessments are regularly used to diagnose evidence of learning. So some attributes would be the teacher elicits evidence of student understanding. That would be by circulating and asking specific questions. Students are invited to assess their own work and make improvements, most of them do so. So using a, a checklist um, or a rubric, and then they can correct their work based on that. Feedback includes specific and um, includes specific and timely guidance, at least for groups of students. So that feedback again, the students are circulating. You, you can give them verbal feedback at the end. Um, you just have to give them that feedback so they know how to move forward. And it should be, you know, during the time that they're completing that task so they know how to make the corrections if needed. So what's ineffective in using assessment and instruction? Students do not do not appear to be aware of the assessment criteria. There is little or no monitoring of student learning. Feedback is absent or of poor quality. Students do not engage in self or peer assessments. So some attributes would be the teacher gives no indication of what high quality work looks like. The teacher makes no effort to determine whether students understand the lesson. The teacher does not ask students to evaluate their own work or classmates work. The, the students receive no feedback. So there's nothing, there's no, there's no sign, there's no evidence of assessment being used in the lesson. So a possible example of that is a student is actually going to ask you, how is this assignment going to be graded, right? Um, or the student asks, is, is this the right way to solve this problem, but receives no information from the teacher? So those are some examples of ineffective. You want to make sure that you are um, assessing your, 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 your students throughout the lesson. You want to make sure they're engaged, right? So this is what um, component, sorry, domain three is all about. It's all about engaging your students, using assessments and questions, and Sorry, not using questioning and discussion techniques, engaging students in learning, and using assessments and instruction. And again, they all overlap. If you've been paying attention and you've been following and you're actually looking at the rubric and getting familiar with it, you're going to realize they all overlap. Like I just said, if you are um, you're creating questions and, tech and using tech discussion techniques, like I just said, um, Turner Talks is a, is a discussion technique using questions in your planning you want to make sure that you're using only open-ended questions if you use a yes no make sure it has a follow-up which is open-ended you want students to justify their reasoning right so that right there will help you with the questioning if you're implementing that discussion technique which is turn and talk and you're implementing an a and b system um and you're clearly giving directives of who's who's um partic i mean who's sharing at what time that's engaging students in learning and then you can use those questions and specific, you know, specific formulated, specifically formulated questions um, during your turn and talks. You can be circulating. You can ask questions based on the students' levels. Also, when they're working in small groups, you should be asking questions. You should be conferencing. This should this should be evident during the lesson. <clears throat> and that is domain three. Domain 
three. So my my challenge for you this episode is, I mean, if you're listening to this, obviously you are, you know, well, if you're listening to, yeah, if you're listening to Dynasty and Rubric series, series, then um, there's a high chance that you are an educator. So my goal would be for you, or my challenge for you this episode, because that's what I do every episode. I give a challenge to my listeners, and I hope that you guys are actually following through with them, because that is my goal. I want to... I want you. To, I want to provide you with information that you can take into your daily lives. You can implement it, and you can improve. And it. And the goal is for it to improve something that you're doing in your life. So, with that being said, my challenge for you this episode is to take a lesson plan that you've created that you've used in the past, and look at the questioning that you've used, and and ask yourself: Am I using open-ended questions? Am I allowing opportunities for students to um, justify their thinking or their understanding? Or am I using really low-level questions where they're just yes and no's and there's no connections? Am I using questions that allow for loud discussions, right? Then think, how are you engaging students in learning? Reflect on your lesson. What are you doing? Do you have turn-in talks? Do you allow room for discussions between students or you're always in the center and do not let go. So that's going to be my challenge for you this episode. And I would love to hear feedback from you if you actually did this challenge and let me know how it goes. So I'm going to wrap it up right there with domain three of the Danielson rubric. This was episode three of our Tackling the Danielson Rubric series. We have one more episode for Domain 4, which is all about professional responsibilities. And we're going to dive into how are you growing as an educator and how you can contribute to your school community as a whole. So thank you again for listening. This is your host, Geneva Rodriguez. If you have any questions or concerns, you can reach me on Instagram at coffeestains underscore edu, coffeestains underscore edu. Our website is coffeestains.org, coffeestains.org. You can listen to us on Spotify, iHeartRadio, and Amazon Music. You can also listen to our um, episodes on our website. All the resources that I discuss in the episodes can be found on the website under the resource tab. Thank you, thank you, and it's a wrap.